Hello, my name is Natasha Duquette. I am the academic dean and a professor of literature at Our Lady Seat of Wisdom College in Barry's Bay, Ontario. I'm also an editor and writer, and my most recent book is 30 Day Journey with Jane Austen. My title today is Spiritual Retreat While Sheltering in Place. In the middle of March, 2020, when we were asked to stay home in order to prevent the spread of the COVID-19 virus, two terms emerged in public discourse for what was happening. In North America, people referred to a lockdown. This term is used in the United States when there is an armed gunman on a campus or school grounds and the university or high school goes into a quote, lockdown. It means all the teachers and students leave open spaces such as halls or courtyards and lock themselves in their offices or classrooms until the danger has passed with the apprehension or tragically at times death of the active shooter. I became familiar with this term when I was teaching in Los Angeles. And one day as I, I was walking from a classroom down a path to a building where my faculty office was under the bright California sunshine, I received a text telling me to get inside and stay inside because we were going into a campus lockdown. A police helicopter appeared overhead, swooping down low over the campus pathway as the police officers searched for the potential shooter. The term lockdown has violent connotations as it is also used when referring to the securing of a prison due to the outbreak of violence amongst the prisoner population. This past spring, as the global pandemic unfolded, I noticed academic colleagues in England were using a gentler, kinder, more accepting term from what, for what we were being asked to do. They called the practice of staying at home quote, sheltering in place. Now this phrase, sheltering in place, has much more positive associations than the term lockdown. We take shelter in a home, or we take shelter under a tree, or in a friendship. Canadians take shelter from the cold of winter in the warmth of indoor spaces. And we also speak of taking shelter from a storm. The folk musician Bob Dylan has a song titled Shelter from the Storm and in it Dylan sings, come in she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. Here he's using it as a metaphor for a relationship. The shelter really is the love of the woman who is extending this offer to the singer to take shelter in her love. It's a beautiful metaphor. No one would ever think of being locked down as a loving act. I don't think we would use that language to describe a relationship, hopefully not. I'm very aware that if one's home is itself unsafe in situations of domestic violence, for example, one may not experience home as a safe haven or a shelter. However, due to my relatively calm and peaceful home environment, 
I experienced the request to shelter in place and teach online in the spring as an invitation from the Lord into a space of quiet, focused, balanced, spiritual retreat. So today I would like to share a bit of my story of spiritual retreat while sheltering in place. And I'd also like us to think about how in the Gospels, Jesus seeks solitude away from crowds, away from people in order to connect to God the Father in prayer. Even before the beginning of the practice of sheltering in place, I had been getting up very early in the morning, sometimes as early as 4 a.m., to spend an hour or two in prayer at the beginning of my day. There's a long story about why I was getting up so early, but it turned into this beautiful prayer time. I would read a section of a gospel through a method called Lectio Divina, which involves slow, careful reading with awareness of specific words or phrases that God may be bringing to one's attention, and then prayer and journaling around these words and phrases. I would also read a psalm prayerfully every morning, as well as an additional section of Hebrew scripture and sometimes part of an epistle. When I began teaching from home online, I felt less rushed in the morning. I didn't have to worry about packing a lunch or carefully choosing an outfit for teaching that day. So I added, with this bit of extra time in the morning, I added more reading to my prayer time, specifically a book about discerning the will of God. The tradition of going on a silent spiritual retreat has, through the centuries, in places like monasteries and convents, been associated with the quest to hear the still, small voice of God in order to follow His will for us rather than our own uh, desires or will for our life. People will often go into a retreat mode fasting and praying when they are trying to make a difficult decision. One big change I noticed as the spring progressed was the joyous clear sound of birdsong in the early morning while it was still absolutely dark outside. I had not heard such jubilant birdsong ever before from my Toronto home on the very busy Bayview Avenue and I realized that it was due to the absence of the incessant Toronto traffic and overhead airplane traffic that I could actually hear the birds. Environmentalists have pointed out how the near halting of vehicle, boat, and airplane travel while we were all sheltering in place and staying home actually improved air quality and water quality around the world. It also greatly diminished what I will refer to as the noise pollution of the industrial machine that is the city of Toronto, thus allowing for more organic sounds of God's creation to emerge, like the song of a finch or the breeze moving through the new maple leaves in the spring. It's important to remember how Jesus himself intentionally spent time alone in solitary wilderness spaces in order to connect with God the Father away from the noise 
and distractions of the crowds. In the New Revised Standard Translation of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 15 to 16, we read, Now more than ever the word about Jesus spread abroad. More crowds, many crowds, would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. But he would withdraw to deserted places to pray. Jesus showed love and compassion by healing people, afflicted by physical, emotional, and spiritual dis-ease. But he also needed to take time away, to be alone in prayer, thus setting us an important example of the centrality of spiritual retreat. In the 2016 book, The Power of Silence, Against the Dictatorship of Noise, Robert Cardinal Sarah writes, quote, the Gospels say the Savior himself prayed in silence, particularly at night or while withdrawing to deserted places. Silence is typical of the meditation by the Word of God. We find it again, particularly in Mary's attitude towards the mystery of her son. Quote. Here Cardinal Sarah may be thinking of Mary's contemplative posture as she ponders the wonder of the Incarnation in her heart after they had been visited by the shepherds when Jesus was a baby. Or her sorrowful love as she stood at the foot of the cross, contemplating her son's great suffering and great mercy and compassion. In both instances, Mary is silently contemplative before the mystery of Christ. In his 2002 book titled Searching for and Maintaining Peace, a small treatise on peace of the heart, Father Jacques Philippe emphasizes the importance of each of us connecting with Jesus in a receptive, quiet, personal way through contemplative prayer. He writes, one can never insist enough on the necessity of quiet meditative prayer, the real source of interior peace. How can one abandon oneself to God and have confidence in him if one only knows him from a distance, by hearsay? The heart does not awaken to confidence until it awakens to love. We need to feel the gentleness and the tenderness of the heart of Jesus. This cannot be obtained except by the habit of meditative prayer, by this tender repose in God, which is contemplative. Let us therefore learn to abandon ourselves, to have total confidence in God, in the big things as in the small, with the simplicity of little children. And God will manifest his tenderness, his providence, and his fidelity in a manner sometimes overwhelming." Close quote. It is true that once one commits to this sort of total immersion in a daily practice of scripturally guided, sustained, and sustaining prayer, one will be astonished by the particular, exact, concrete gifts of providence in one's life. I'm honestly not sure whether one becomes more aware of God's daily grace due to consistent prayer and an increase of gratitude in one's heart or whether one is actually receiving more concrete gifts, forms of grace from God because of this open-handed, open-hearted 
posture of prayer that just makes it one more capable to receive such gifts. Perhaps it is both. Perhaps we both become more spiritually conscious of how God is reaching out to us throughout our days and weeks and years of our lives. And perhaps more gifts are descending upon us due to our increase in prayer. Um, however, you may be thinking, does this not all sound a bit self-serving, solipsistic, dare we say selfish, to spend all this time alone with God and to have this joy of receiving gifts from him? What about the idea that as Christians, we're also called to sacrifice and to serve the hurting, needy and vulnerable out in the world around us? This is a good question, and it has to do with the balance between the contemplative and the active life in Christianity. We can turn back to the Gospels and look again at the example of Jesus. In the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, for example, after Jesus hears of John the Baptist's death, he feels the need to retreat, to be by himself during his time of grief over this sudden, it would have been a sudden and traumatic loss of John the Baptist because it was such so violent and um, not from natural causes. So verse 13 records, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. Jesus provides an example of how spiritual withdrawal or retreat during a time of mourning is natural. It's a natural response. So we should always remember this and not judge members of our community, friends, family members, if during a time of mourning and grief, they need to be alone. They probably do need to be alone with God and reconnect with him deeply as they process the trauma of loss. However, Jesus does not remain in this space alone, this space of retreat. As verse 13 continues into verse 14 in this 14th chapter of Matthew, the gospel continues, quote, But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. So when we consider Luke 5 and Matthew 14 together, a kind of chiastic structure emerges. In Luke, Jesus spends time healing diseases in the crowds, perhaps becomes exhausted from this. So he withdraws to deserted places to pray. Then in Matthew, Jesus withdraws to grieve the loss of his friend, John the Baptist, but he also emerges from his mournful retreat to cure the sick in the crowds and show them compassion. So Henry Nouwen talks about Jesus as a wounded healer and often when I hear that phrase, I think of his wounds on the cross and how his death on the cross brings us redemption and healing and new life. But here, when Jesus is still mourning the loss of his friend John the Baptist, and he goes out into the crowds and heals them with compassion, even as he still is carrying the pain of grief, this is another way that Jesus was a wounded healer. 
The example of Jesus in the Gospels clearly shows the need for forms of silent retreat, prayerful retreat, which enable constructive positive healing action in the world. Hopefully, as we gradually and carefully emerge from the cocoons of our individual experiences of sheltering in place, we will be more compassionate in our thoughts, words, and actions. This period of sheltering in place has provided opportunities for self-examination as well as prayer, and God has given us time and space to learn about ourselves as individuals, communities, and nations. We have learned the value of our very interconnectedness by having some of those links, at least physically, suspended for a time. May we emerge from our cocoons like butterflies, transformed by the period of stillness and waiting as we sheltered in place. Some are eager for everything to quote, get back to normal. But I say, may it never be. Why would a beautiful butterfly, transformed by her experience of the cocoon, now capable of flying through the open blue sky, fearlessly, want to go back to the life of the limited caterpillar, pre-cocoon, who had been crawling on the ground? God placed us all in our little cocoons for a time, and for me, as well as others, those cocoons have been spaces of radical change, adaptation, and growth. May we emerge more aware of the fragility, worth, and beauty of creation, including every human life. May we emerge more willing to actively love our neighbor as we love ourselves, whether that takes place physically or virtually. Jesus's periods of prayerful solitude clearly flowed into his acts of compassionate healing. The two were interconnected, the contemplative and the active. Such healing continues today, whether through the psychologist still sheltering in place and holding counseling sessions via Zoom, the teacher continuing to encourage students through social media during these strange summer months, the ER doctor bravely fighting for patients' lives in the COVID-19 hospital ward, or the pastor continuing to guide a flock, whether through virtual connections or carefully, slowly, with attention to guidelines, through beginning to gather groups together in the church. We need both solitude and human connection. So my prayer for you is that God will help you delve into spiritual retreat as you shelter in place. Now and into the future, we will always need shelter and the quiet of home as we move forward. So may you find this quiet spiritual retreat in your every day so that God's love will transform, protect, sustain, and lift you up as you safely emerge back out into the world.